0: Da, 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 da. You sound insane. You realize that? Oh, yeah. the whole world got crazy, it It's that's Welcome back into another Mad About Movies movie review of the week. We're so glad you're able to join us. Kent Garrison here, joined by co-host Brian Gill. Brian, what's up?
1: Hey, Kentil, how are you, my friend?
0: It's good, man. It's a uh, Feels like it's been a while since it's been just you and I, maybe since like Star Wars talk or something like that. And that's, that's been a while. Yeah. yeah, it's
1: good to be here. I missed last week; that was a bummer. Um, but yeah, fortunately the rash has gone away, and I'm I'm good to go now. But uh, yeah, it's it's good. Poison be, it's good sumac to
0: be here. is is pretty intense. <laughs> <laughs> accurate, accurate. Yes, yes. Not yeah, poison man, oak. Good to Not poison to, ivy. Poison, poison sumac. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I am too. It. It's been a while and, you know, that one theater experience this year with Tenet was, was pretty fun, but we still still not through the woods, so to speak, in any way, and yeah. mm-hmm. we're back to movies on demand, Netflix, all that kind of stuff, but luckily the streaming gods mm-hmm. shined, shone upon us, and uh, lots, lots on the table for the next couple months, yeah. lots that I'm excited about, lots that sure. I'm... Really looking forward to, and I think it'll make for some good conversation as we get going here, and it'll make for an interesting award season, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah. because we've got Mank and Hillbilly, mm-hmm. Elegy going or Elegy, Sonic, I don't know, obviously, and, yeah, Mank and and Hillbilly are both coming out on um, on Netflix alone, so it looks like Netflix mm-hmm. is just going to sweep the Oscars this year <laughs> um, because they just bought up all the all the mm-hmm. good Oscar movies uh, ahead of this year, and it looks like that's going to pay off. But man. I am excited to talk about this movie, Love and Monsters, with you because uh, just a little teaser for the conversation, we'll we'll get into it. Great silver lining to 2020, Love and Monsters. We'll get into that a little bit later. Mm -hmm. But shout out to our VIPs. Thank you so much for being a VIP, the people that join us every week on our throwback episodes and our Discord and over on our Patreon. It's been a really fun time over there talking uh, about movies, about n- news, rumors, rumblings. We've got a Mandalorian spoilers channel on our Discord, mm-hmm. so we've been uh, discussing all those episodes as they've come out. Brian, did you see episode one of the Mandalorian? I two? literally watched it
1: about thirty minutes before
0: we got on the air tonight. Uh, nice.
1: Uh, I was hoping to. My son and I were rewatching season one uh, to lead up to Friday night to to watch the the second or excuse me the first the first episode of season two and. We were on great track, and then my week last week was just a just a dumpster fire, and we never got a chance. And so Friday night, I was like, "Dude, we we still have like four episodes we gotta we gotta get caught up on." So finished those last night, and uh, tonight around the dinner table the 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 very modern American the TV dinner table, dinner table. <laughs> straight in front of the TV. Yeah, we sat and we watched it, and uh, yeah, I I, lo- I won't give anything away because I was very I was very precious about spoilers on this stuff. But yeah, this was. I love this show, man. i'm, I'm very, very excited for where we are where we are headed moving forward in this season. It's just it's super fun,
0: yeah, well, you might do some kind of season wrap episode in the v i p uh towards the end of the year to to wrap all that up, so I don't want to go into spoilers or anything with the Mandalorian. I'm sure a lot of our audience watches that, but man it's it's so cool to see Star wars live action on t v and and I know that was the sentiment last year. It's just so cool to see that and how they executed it. But man, it, it feels like it, they've taken it to 11 this year. Um, but I hope it's not a nostalgia fest. That's what I'll say. And there's some things in the first episode mm-hmm. that, you know, it's just like, Oh yeah, that, that that's from star Wars. Yep. Um, so I hope they don't lean too far into that because I feel like with the Mandalorian season one, they really were paving their own path and like, Oh, here's a new character, a new mythos. We don't really know it's connected to star Wars, but it's its own thing. So, I hope they don't try to redeem themselves from fan failure of of you know Rise of Skywalker, whatever whatever it is, from that they feel like they need to redeem themselves for by just cramming some some nostalgia into this. But mm-hmm. man, I'm so optimistic, and in, in Episode One, if it's any indication, will um, make for a great season going forward. So excited about that! Yeah. But shout out to our our VIPs over there on on our Discord. One of the channels we have on there is what I'm watching and what we do on that channel is anytime you're watching something, you just drop a link to uh, a letterboxd IMDB on there and people chime in on, on said things. And we have a great, a great um, ongoing conversation about Mm -hmm. uh, what we're always watching with just us uh, hosts and all of our, our VIPs are in there sharing what they've been watching. So Brian, we're going to make a little segment out of this uh, before we talk love and monsters and, you know, we haven't we haven't caught up with you in a while. What what have you been watching on TV? Any series you've been binging? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what have you been doing besides you know, obviously watching movies for the pod? Sure,
1: I got two two TV programs for you here um, that uh, that my wife and I have been watching the like two nights a week when we're both at home and, and able to uh able to watch them the first one is, that we just finished finally so i'd never have you watched Shit's creek is that a thing i, don't know I have watched
0: like the first couple of seasons my wife's really into okay. it she she knows she's really into it my little sister's into it um but but no i have i have i'm not sadly i'm not caught up but i'm very okay. familiar yes
1: sweet yeah we we started watching it uh I mean last year maybe even the year before a while back, and I watched two or three episodes with with Lindsay, and I was just like, this is funny, but it's just not really it's not really hitting the mark for whatever reason, and then we ended up starting to watch something else and yada, yada yada and then uh over quarantine like even just in the last she she really got into it, and so like every time i i entered a room where she was watching tv by herself it was it was this and uh i caught a few and then she i she was like man she finished it before the the most recent season hit netflix um she finished watching and then she just started over immediately which is a thing that i've never done i've never seen her do before Of like just i mean literally like one day she finished the what was available and then the next day she started the the series over again and stuff and i was like all right I'll, i'll give it a shot this time and uh Maybe the funniest show that is—I—I I, I guess it's not currently on TV anymore since it just finished its its yeah. last uh, season. But the most recent, incredibly funny show—I—I I could not for—I don't know why it didn't hit me right the first time around, um, yeah. but it—it it sure did the, the the second time, and it, I felt like an idiot because of how <laughs> how great it was. But like we 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 blazed through it pretty quickly. Some of the best characters I've seen in a in a sitcom in a really long time. Just incredible performances. Um,
0: American Treasure, just, Catherine O'Hara.
1: Oh yeah, dude. And it's I mean it is just
0: it is chock full of North American Treasure. Sorry. Yeah,
1: North American Treasure. All of those people uh, are or will be <laughs> American yeah, Treasure. Eugene American Levy Treasure for sure. Point. For sure. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's it's just so funny, and the side characters are great too. And that's that was like a that's an underrated part of it. I think it's it's uh, the the four uh, members of the Rose family kind of get all the buzz and they deserve it. They're, they're fantastic. David Rose and, and, uh, and, and more, all of them are, are great, but the side characters in the town are so fantastic. And, and they just bring a lot to the table and Mm -hmm. these little throwaway bits and the, the running gags that they have going through the course of, of the last couple of seasons too, are are, are so good and so funny. And so, man, I I it was it is a perfect it it is uh for me it was like the closest thing to arrested development since arrested development. It's not as nice. fast as arrested development or or 30 Rock, either both of those are just like 25 jokes a minute type um with with the the quick but but it's so it's a little slower paced than that but it's still on the on the witty level, and from the standpoint of like the the high quality, high concept jokes that they're able to pull off in the midst of foolishness, uh, oh, it's it's so good. And it also the the last thing I'll say on it was that I maybe wasn't expecting, and I certainly didn't pick up on the first first go around when we started it. It's a it's a really warm show. Like there was yeah. a lot of positivity to it that I didn't really. I didn't really expect and I didn't really pick up on in the beginning. And that, that doesn't really super start until the second, uh, second season. First season is all just, we hate it here. How can we get out of here? Et cetera, et cetera. But, but really pretty early in the second season, they start adapting the characters to, okay, you are here. So what are you going to do with it? And there's still a certain amount of like, especially with, with Catherine O'Hara's character, Moira of, of, you know, I want to get out of here. I want to return to my glory and stuff, but, but that's okay. I mean, it it works really well especially when for the mo- I think for the most part the other three main characters are more settled in and are trying to make a life for themselves and it's I don't know, I was not prepared for how um emotionally strong the the show would be and how it would it would resonate really well. And in the midst of like all the the freaking insanity that we're all going through right now and I guess we'll be going through forever. It was, it was a very, um, it was kind of much needed on that front for me of, of watching something that felt, um, real in its emotionality and in its, like, very authentic in, in its, its presentation of this family and how they're, you know, trying to, to, to get through all this sort of stuff that they're going through. It was really, it's really good, man. Really good. And, and there's a um there's like a a post production episode on the end of it that's on Netflix it's like a 45 minute special with like some table reads and the sort of obligatory last day of filming videos and mm. like talking to the the actors and stuff like that everybody and crying that and hugging yeah totally totally <laughs> but it did a really good job of like kind of encapsulating how the show got started and then you know how it grew to the audience that it was it was at by the end of it which is a real huge success story i think it it's really reminiscent of like breaking bad i think in in 2013 of how uh important netflix was to the rise of that show and how quickly it or how like what a huge cultural presence it has uh in its last season or two that it didn't have in its previous seasons because people were watching it on netflix and saying this show is incredible and and everybody kind of joining together and watching that i guess so so it's really cool great great little tag episode tag episode at the end uh that i, mm-hmm. that I dug so so we finished that a couple weeks ago great show i will definitely that will definitely be a revisit over and over and over again in the future type of show and will be like real comfort food question I think, for really you similar
0: yeah, yeah. How does it hold up uh, outside of context? You know, like The Office, you can just throw on a random episode. How does it hold up if you just throw on a random episode? Or is it more like Arrested Development where you kind of need more context th- in the watch?
1: I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. I don't think it's mm. it's as easily accessible as for something like Friends, for sure. You right. know, that's, that's like kind of the ultimate type of comfort food show where it's just like you, it doesn't matter if you have seen an episode in five years, you can turn on an episode of friends. It drops you right into the middle of it. And unless it's like one of maybe, I don't know, 10 episodes in the entire course of the show that really needs context from the episode before or the episode after, then you're totally fine. The office I think is a little less than friends, but still you're totally right. Still has that, that mode where, um again with the exception of a very few episodes you really can't just watch any episode of the office and you'll be good this one's not i would say it's not quite to that point because there are uh some running gags and and bits that that take place especially as the the series goes on um uh, in the last couple of seasons especially there's there's more of those like sort of background gags that that um carry through uh, on like a bit of an arc and stuff but it's not like arrested development where uh you really and 30 rock i think was a little bit this way too where you really can't struggle to just turn it on and pick up wherever it's at because there are more interlocking uh narratives and stuff that take place through the course of of the show so mm-hmm. but i definitely think you could i mean there's it would be pretty easy to see this having another life on TBS or something like that, where it's just like, Oh, there's, I mean, obviously there's content stuff that maybe you can't get through on TBS, but yeah, some edited version like, um, Oh, sex in the city or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Had a crazy run. I mean, I've seen, honestly, I've seen, they can't even, not a lot of that
0: stuff. They can't even, uh, what is it called? The Creek or something? Like they can't even put it on the TV guide. I've seen it. That's
1: what I wonder about. Like it's, that's such a fine line. I mean, especially in the world that I live in, like whenever, I mean, when, when we say, when, when all you're of asking our family are watching, or like, have yeah, you seen exactly. Creek? Like, oh my God, no. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you like, yeah, yeah. S-C-H-I-T-T. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, all of our friends are watching it, I think at this time too, or have been over the last few months. And we're all in front of our kids. We've, we've all been calling it Skits Creek, which really shows how lame we are, But uh, but it is the it is the truth, but yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, I, I do, I think that this will be one that I rewatch perpetually, uh, in the background, at least for forever. Like it's going to be a really good yeah. re re type show, but yeah. it's not, it may not be quite as, as comfort foodie as, as the office or, or parks and rec or, or friends or, or whatever.
0: Well, thankfully through the internet, we were able to see it. It is a Canadian show. So yeah, I mean, it didn't have the luxury of being on American television right away mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. by the time it got to netflix it didn't get to yeah. netflix until i think its last season was airing right yeah and yeah, then and it was um, on yeah. something
1: here was it like um what's the see i don't even know what channel names are anymore was it ifc maybe yeah Arizona something like something? that it was okay. on
0: amc or something like that um and so yeah i think that did a, a disservice obviously i mean they can't help mm-hmm. that but right right like, totally. it, it yeah. sucks that to, a show that that's peaking is gone, mm-hmm. you know, because I feel like the Emmys were the first time most people were like, Oh, we should probably watch that, you know, and sure. now it's gone. Yeah. So that sucks for, for sure. them because they could have probably done three more seasons and made a ton of money mm-hmm. and made it great and gotten all kinds of funding for it. And, and, and right. syndication and all kinds of, you know, but at the same time, uh, I think we we can go back and watch it, and and yeah, I mean the name Shit's Creek did it a disservice too. You know, <laughs> maybe it was yeah, called sure, something else sure. that turned it, a lot of people off right. from the start. It's like I don't want to watch anything called that or that would make that joke mm-hmm. as the name of the show. You know, like make right. an indication yeah. of the content. No, that's a good point. So sure, um, yeah, yeah, it's that beyond be. that though. It's it's sure. it's it deserves a chance, and I'm I'm certainly looking forward to doing the entire binge. That'd be a good retrospective one for for the VIP mm, you know, season yeah, by that's season good one. Point.
1: one. Yeah, for sure. Good. Yeah. It goes fast too. Like it's a really, I think it's a really easy binge. I mm-hmm. we, Lindsay and I would have finished it in maybe two weeks if we were able to just sit and, it, you know, pre kid days and pre having so many things in the, you know, podcasts and stuff like that, that we that I've got to get done. We would have watched it really fast. Mm-hmm. If, if could have, if we could have just sat down and done that. Um, gotcha. The other thing I'm watching real fast and i and I'll, I'm only two episodes into this. Uh, so I can't comment too much on it. And I don't want to spoil it anyway, but have you started Fargo yet? Fargo season four?
0: Uh, yes. Yeah, I have. I I love it. Yeah. I've,
1: I've been really looking forward to this. Chris Rock and Jason Schwartzman and, mm-hmm. and doing this world. I mean, Noah Hawley is... I think is one of my favorites, but then he has these weird moments where I'm like, Ugh, I, don't, I don't love that. I'm not really sure. But he's somebody that I... I think he's going to always sit in, a, or at least at the moment he sits in a place where it's like, even if I don't love the finished product, I'm always going to get excited about his name attached to something because I think he, he does very interesting things and um has a good, a good t- really has good taste for uh, how to craft his, his stuff, even if I don't ultimately love it. Like he wrote a book a couple of years ago that I was pretty disappointing. Legion kind of lost me along the way and, I thought season three of Fargo was a bit of a step down from from season one and two, but two episodes in, man, season four is right back to where where I wanted it to be. It's it's such a cool, unique, weird world, mm-hmm. um, and it, gosh, it works so well to me.
0: Yeah, to be able to throw them in that 1930s <laughs> world mm-hmm. and have have it work, I mean, it's so so cool. Like the fact that they've been able to just capture the energy. Of that original Coen Brothers movie and apply it to so many different scenarios, settings, people. Um, But at the same time, it feels like Fargo, you know? Um, Right, yeah. It's it's a really, it's a really cool how consistent they've been able to do it, but yet vastly mm -hmm. different each season is. And I love, what I love the most about it is that each season is his own storyline. So... (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's not like one of those shows where it's like, oh, season five of, of Fargo is about to come, but got to watch seasons one through four before so that I know what, what the heck's going on. It's not like that at all. Like right, you can right. start with season four and be totally fine. I love the structure of, of them doing that. And yeah, man, it's been great. Schwartzman is so perfect for that world, man. So perfect. So, so good, is Rock. Man. So is yeah. Rock. I mean, that people will probably leave talking about Chris Rock and it's something like he's never done before, but. To me, mm-hmm. Schwartzman so far is like why I watch the show. I love, I love me Schwartzman, but you know, sure. big Rushmore guy and Fargo guy. So it's like a, <laughs> it's like both of two of my top 10 movies of all time coming together kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so that's great. But, but yeah, man, I'm excited to see where it goes. I've got, yeah. I've got, uh, I think episode seven just came out. So yeah, it ends next week, uh, with, with episode eight, I believe. Right. Or is there 10?
1: I'm not sure. I've tried to stay away from it. I was so excited when it, when it, you know, it was supposed to come out in like April. Yeah. They weren't finished filming it though. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I was super pumped for it. And then it started at a a weird time. I was like, man, I'm not going to be able to watch that for a couple of weeks. And so I've been very careful about avoid. I haven't looked up anything. I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to know anything going into this. But gosh, it's, he, you're, you're. Ex- I mean, you said it much better than I did. I feel like I can't talk tonight at all. But I'm just excited to talk to a human. It's been, it's been weird. But, um, <laughs> but no, like the the energy of of the of the Coens that that is so perfect in in the movie Fargo. I just, I'm obsessed with how with Noah Hawley how he gets that and mm-hmm. how he's able to to sort of uh, channel it or or even to generate it on his own and to make this work in such completely different settings over over the last few uh few seasons and and eras and all this sort of stuff it's just it's really really impressive and it to me at least it is wholly unique on on television there's nothing like what Fargo is doing when Fargo has a new season even in again season three that was a little bit too cosmic brain for me uh in in a lot of ways but even in that season it was like there's nothing else on tv that's doing this and it's
0: yeah so
1: so interesting
0: and fun. it felt at the time when the announcement was made i was super excited because i love mm-hmm. fargo but i mean you could hear the eyes rolling like oh they're making a series out of that 1996 coen brothers yeah yet, really for sure like, for sure yeah and so the fact that it's been able to stay so interesting and mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. set its own bar every season has been yeah. has been awesome and i hope it i hope it continues man that's a for sure that's a great watch and it, it's perfect for winter. Too, it's such a great. Mm -hmm. You know, it would have feel weird, weird in April to be watching Fargo. It feels like you need to be, like, cuddled in a blanket and (laughs) drinking coffee Mm -hmm. to watch Fargo. You know, it feels right. You know, Um, so and it's also cool that's got some some racial issues addressed in it. Um, Mm -hmm. it, It's weird that this year, with all that's going on, you know, politically, culturally, in the in the world. Uh, right now that we have shows like Watchmen, like Fargo, mm-hmm. like Lovecraft Country to kind mm-hmm. of address that stuff in a in an interesting way, you know?
1: Yeah. Have you seen Lovecraft sure. Country yet? That's probably going to be my next my next binge. Oh, you um, dude, you got to
0: get to that. Um, and th- That's th- the, so the, up your alley, man.
1: Yeah, this one was full on. Like, there was no way that I was going to watch that week to week. I was like, this, mm-hmm. this, this has to be a binge to me. Like that just that show just screamed uh full series like, some yeah, shows really, I really yeah. like the the break but that one to me just really seemed like I, I need to watch all of that. So I was waiting for it to to all be done. And so now that it is that's that's gonna be that's gonna be uh probably next up nice next up on my list. Cool. Oh hey real fast I'm sorry, I'm dominating the conversation. No, Can I give you it. one more that I oh, really okay. dug that Absolutely. shockingly yes. Have you watched Ted Lasso?
0: I have not yet no but I've heard <laughs> great things. I have it d- uh I've already purchased it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm, yeah, it's, it's queued up, but I haven't gotten to it yet. I've got like, I don't know. I, I I'm looking forward to a couple of weeks, maybe here in the fall where I can just mm-hmm. sit down and binge like seven shows that I am going to sure. watch before the end of the year and just make my full lists of how mm-hmm. the year went and movies and all that. So sure. that's one of the ones that I'm, I'm going to get to, but I'm looking forward to it, man. Let me some Sudeikis. And that's a f- hilarious premise for a TV show.
1: I thought that trailer was like one of the worst trailers I've ever seen for a TV mm-hmm. show or movie like well it's apple just, TV, just, so they yeah, can't they but, can't
0: doesn't oh matter how gosh. good their content is, they can't put it out there they don't yeah. they don't know the for weird it's how Apple doesn't know how to market these days because they're so well known yeah. for their marketing <laughs> campaigns like <laughs> yeah everything that they've done doesn't matter how good it is, like I said, it's just atrocious how we mm-hmm. have to absorb it through the marketing
1: it's it's, it's bad you're, you're you're dead on man the marketing for that it, it was so that trailer was awful Like i was like there's no there's no way this can be anything better than than like a c i mean it's so <laughs> terrible i had so many people bug me about it and say if you watch ted lasso it's really good and I, did, I for the for the first like two months i was like no, it isn't. There's no way that you're telling me the truth or you're an idiot. Like there's no way that that trailer could, could portend an actual good show. But I had so many people bug me about it. And I finally sat down and watched it. And I, I mean, and they're short episodes. It's it's 30 minutes per episode. I watched it in about two days. It was, it's so good. And, and Sudeikis is fantastic. And it, you would think that the, The character that he's playing, the kind of the bit that he's doing, you would think that that would wear on you after a while, but it really doesn't. It's just so wholesome, and he he's he's so endearing despite playing a character again that that really should be annoying. But he's Mm. he's so good at it, man. It's it anyway. I'll I'll get off and stop talking. But big big recommend for for Ted Lasso. It was nice. It's a lot of fun, and I don't think you have to know a daggum thing about uh soccer to to be able to enjoy it either. So great. Check that out.
0: That's that's good to have your endorsement. I, I take that wholeheartedly. Uh a couple things I've been watching, these are all in the in the TV realm of things, yeah. series, all that kind of stuff. A couple I've a couple of new, a couple I've just gone back and, and rewatched. The first one is one that I've talked about on the pod before it's a little bit different. I think we talked weekly recommends about a month ago about it. Um, I don't know if you've watched the vow yet, uh, Brian. Not yet. But yeah. there is another series, uh, sort of in the fire v fire uh, fraud realm of things. Like there's competing <laughs> documentaries about this same subject, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this this other one is uh, about the Nexium cult called Seduced, and it's on Stars. Uh, it's Way more digestible for probably the average person uh, in terms Mm -hmm. of how it's structured out. The Vow is way more like fly-on-the-wall type of documentary. You know, a lot of real footage from back in the day, and it kind of takes you through slowly through the course of this. Uh, Seduced skims the surface a lot more, gets into a lot more of the more tabloid-esque details of the story rather than the psychological uh impact of the of the nexium cult which is what the vow is more about like how um no pun intended uh, this guy keith ranieri seduced these people into uh into this cult right and it's more about the overall o- overarching power of inf- of people's influence at large seduced is more about like no this guy was a criminal and here's mm. how he did it you know sure so i mean if if you're listening and you haven't seen either of these i would watch the vow first um because there's a lot of stuff in seduced that they give away and talk about that i uh, that, that they don't talk about in the vow so I, I feel like the vow is is a better one to, to watch first and if you're still interested in the subject you, you should watch seduced because it's a good you know, second part to it and it mm. and it and it kind of continues the story further uh, where the vow leaves off but man i'm so into this story I don't want to give away the ending, but there's some news that happened with Keith Raniere about a couple of days ago in the news. And mm-hmm. um man, it's such a fascinating topic. You know, I I'm just so fascinated by like these sure. influential fraudsters that just like are nobodies that that um basically lie themselves into these positions of of influence and then get caught and get put in prison mm-hmm. or whatever, you know? So it is it's absolutely fast. So and it crosses over like I mean not only like uh physical abuse, mental abuse, whatever, but it's like borderline re- a religion too, you know, it's a cult. But it's like not mm-hmm. it's not pitched as a cult to these people, so they're like in a cult that they don't know is a cult. It's, it's insane, man. I don't want to give too much away, but, sure. um, just search Nexium NXIVM or, or watch the devour seduced. But those are two, uh, I think seduced the, the last episode comes out next week of the, of the season, mm. but that's one like every week as they've been dropping. I'm just super excited to dig into it again. Nice. Cause, uh. Yeah, I mean it's it's a guilty pleasure, like uh, like the Firefest thing, you know. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's it's good to see bad people go down. <laughs> sure. And um, my wife is
1: obs- she's pumped for that. She she is like weirdly into like I'm nervous, honestly. She's very into uh, cult shows. It's, mm-hmm. it's a, so anyway. I'm sure oh, we're you, on you guys. Are, she's gonna be
0: super something. into this, man. Yeah. yeah, As soon as she watches The Vow, it's gonna it's gonna get it done <laughs> in about an hour or two hours, <laughs> and then uh, yeah.
1: If I, I go like missing at some point, just <laughs> check all the local cults, I'm sure. Yeah, if you get branded sure
0: at any point, I'll, yeah. I'll know what happened. <laughs> all right. Uh so that's one I've been watching that I would throw out there for for the watcher. I know you did a sitcom too, Brian, and there's mm-hmm. one I've been going back and rewatching and it's so daggum good and I've been laughing and just guilty pleasure enjoying myself watching it. I love Lucy, man. I love that show oh, so nice. much. Uh you know, went back and got all the old episodes and some of them I haven't seen in 20, 25 years, you know, since Nick at night reruns or whatever it is, but Mm -hmm. it's just such a perfect show, you know, in every (laughs) capacity, you know, it's so flawless. Every character is perfect. The writing is perfect. The setups are perfect. Um, the originality of it, you know, groundbreaking in every way. Um, it holds up. I mean, this is, 75 years ago or whatever it is, you know, 60 years ago in the, in the forties and fifties when this, this show was out, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it still holds up like perfectly, you know, a lot of, a lot of old comedy doesn't hold up. I mean, as much as I love the Marx brothers. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. it's weird. I say the Marx brothers, cause they do have a famous episode with, with Lucy, but like, I can't watch duck soup in 2020 and be like, God, that's so funny hilarious Mm -hmm. like i understand why it was funny when it was came out and why it's groundbreaking but like there's something about it that you it just doesn't translate years later everything about out of lucy translates (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. and maybe it's because it was so groundbreaking and so many shows have copied the template tried to be the next out of lucy whatever whatever it is um there's just something about it that stands the test of time and it i would Definitely recommend for all of our listeners to go back and, and watch that one. There's probably the vast majority of people listening to this have never seen an episode, know what it is, won't watch it because it's black and white, old, whatever it is. It's worth your time. And um, one of the most in, insanely bingeable, rewatchable, throw throw on a random episode shows you can find out there. And that's why it's done so well in syndication for, for so many years is because it, it's like Seinfeld or The Office in that way where um, it, it just holds up. So well, but i man i I cannot wait cannot wait for the Aaron Sorkin Isle of Lucy movie um yeah, to come out uh, you sure. know he He wrote it a while ago. It's supposed to be in the vein of Steve Jobs in the kind of tone of that where maybe it takes place during the making of an episode, you know, but it's all kind of told in real time i that that would be so fascinating to me mm. um to see, and Cape Blanchett is already going to be Lucy in the movie. They had a lot of trouble finding Desi. I think the last I heard, like they, they, they hadn't found somebody to play Ricky because it's such an important, the movie was called um, Lucy and Desi. Mm-hmm. Um, like that, that was the name of the screenplay. Uh, so that's an, it's such an important part of this that I think they had to find the right person to do that. But mm-hmm. also according to some VIPs in our room, uh, uh, discord they said because you guys were talking about chicago seven a couple weeks ago they were they were talking about that movie and Aaron sorkin and they said that cape Blanchette didn't want him to direct this lucy movie because she didn't think right. he was a good director <laughs> and she wants like <laughs> david fincher or somebody to come sure. on board or somebody that mm-hmm. that has a little bit more flair to do this yeah. because it could be Louis really Littier, special maybe mm-hmm. right right little spin spin the camera around the uh <laughs> right. yeah the two three bags, camera setup yeah. one camera setup that's what i want <laughs> <laughs> on a On a little uh, turntable, we'll just uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I I love the show. I don't know if you're a fan or, or anything, yeah, but sure. it, it just absolutely slays, <laughs> you know. And yeah. There's only like four or five seasons too, so it gets out mm-hmm. right when it's peaking and and um, everything. I mean, it starts out like season one, episode one, is just as good as season three, episode eight. Like, there's no. Weird progressive builds like most sitcoms, you know, it's like they mm, shot yeah. a whole season of stuff and figured it out and then said, All right, we're going to air season two. <laughs> like, once they knew what the <laughs> show was, and sure. it's absolutely perfect from the first episode. So, uh-huh. that's what's that's what amazed me. Like, I, you started out, and you're like, Gosh, this is already perfect, <laughs> and there's uh-huh. no finding out who these characters are. Or, you know, uh, The Office is a perfect example, and we've yeah. said that a lot, but like, you've got to find out what the show is before it can really Mm -hmm. hit a stride and it hits a stride in episode one. And that's incredible to me.
1: Yeah. I think it's Mike Schur that always said in an ideal world, you'd be able to make 10 episodes of a show and then show everybody the 11th episode. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's, that's, that's that's a perfect quote.
0: Yep. Yep. Uh Absolutely. But man, that one's, that one's been a really fun one to go, go back and rewatch. I encourage the listener to do the same. And the last thing I'll recommend, we'll talk love and monsters here is, um, Go back where you watch Sonic Highways, man. Foo Fighters, oh, doc man. on HBO yes. about them recording the Sonic Highways record. So good. And I know we oh. talked about it at the time and watched it at the time, and it was great. But, I mean, it's been like six years since that thing came out. Six, seven years. Mm-hmm. And, oh, it's fantastic. Love Dave Grohl. Love the Foo Fighters. And such a cool doc series to to show not only the making of an album, but like the history of music in America. And, um, mm-hmm. gosh, so good. So well done,
1: man. That combined with like, with sound city is such mm-hmm. a cool, that's a great one, two point and the, uh, foo
0: fighters watch. dock back and forth too, is yeah, kind of man. the uh, precursor oh, to all that too. Gosh. Yeah. I rewatched that a, a week or two ago and that holds up too strong. And that made me want to yeah. watch Sonic highways again. I was like, I need to rewatch that and, and did and have been and gosh, amazing. So good.
1: So good. So good. River came across my Spotify playlist the other day and I was like, Oh, this, then I thought of some, I thought of, uh, I, I thought of Sonic Highways because of that. I was like, man, this is, that was such a good, such a good doc and great, great stuff. I hope they, I didn't love that last album they did. I hope, I hope they've got another good one in them somewhere, uh before all this is said and done, but hopefully.
0: Yeah. I've, I feel like they've definitely done an album during this.
1: Pandemic. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure.
0: And uh, we'll see the fruits of that labor at some point. But mm-hmm. Sonic Highways is is great if you're at all interested in the recording process and the history of music, you know, local music, things like that. If you're a Dave Grohl, American Treasure Dave Grohl fan, then right. uh, Sonic Highways certainly worth your time. All right, Brian, let's talk a little bit about Love and Monsters. I teased it a little bit at the at the outset of the podcast, but had no idea about this movie. Had never heard of it and found myself watching it one night and was very pleasantly surprised by this almost from the very beginning of it.
1: Yeah. I'm this exact same exact same experience. I, I mean, maybe a week before that's one of the, so anyone who listens to this show knows I'm super organized. I have schedules planned out for this show, you know, years in advance. Maybe it's, it's, it's either a good thing or a terrible thing. I, I don't really know, but I, I love, uh, I love well, your make parents, sure that your, we were...
0: your middle name is spreadsheet. So they <laughs> did right, that Brian right. spreadsheet, Gill. It was almost <laughs> like an inevitability that that would happen.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's, I really blame my parents for this. Yes. That, was, that was on them for, for making that my name. But yeah, like I, I, I did, I want to be organized. I want to stay on top of things. This is, there are uh, a million reasons why uh, COVID has been way worse for a lot of people beyond this. Um, one of the worst things for me is just it has really messed with my scheduling and that puts me in a weird – I'm uncomfortable when I don't have uh, a a routine, a schedule, et cetera, things like that. One of the benefits of all of this as far as the scheduling goes of not being able to say, hey, we're going to watch this movie on this week and this movie on this week is – you kind of of mentioned this off the top, but like – there's a lot more random little movies that we are getting some access to and a, maybe a little bit more time to watch. Because mm. in, any, in any given year, I'm going to watch out somewhere between 100 and 120 movies that come out that year. And I'm going to do my best to get through to as many of them as I can. But, but I mean, you know, how many movies come out in a year? 600? I mean, it's tough. It's impossible to stay on top of all of them. And by the end of the year, there's always a few that I'm like, man, I really wish I could have seen that, but I didn't have time. And now I got to move on to the next year when there's nothing coming out in theaters and we're getting, you know, exclusively pretty much. We're getting on demand stuff and whatever's at the at at the streamers and whatnot. It really has given some more opportunity to say, I guess I'll check that out because I have I have a two hour block that I can watch a movie in right now. And instead of having to go to a theater or getting to go to a theater uh, to watch uh, James Bond movie or something. It's like, all right, let's let's fill it with this. And so I had no, I had not heard of this at all. Had no idea what it was, just based on like the the look of it and stuff. I was like, that's probably going to be pretty terrible. Pretty can imagine that, yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: It looks like exactly. a B movie, like a like one you would see at a red box that Uh-oh, no one yes, has ever heard exactly. of, and it's yeah. like. Dylan O'Brien in Loving Monsters. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. that's yeah doesn't sound great. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. And he's that's he's, how I felt going in too. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I'm in the same boat. But you you watched it before I did, and so did uh, in in our Discord, our, our, our friend Tanner watched it and commented on it, and uh, y'all both said you know nice things about us. I was like, y'all, I'll give it, I'll check it out. Before we knew we were gonna do an episode on it, I was like, yeah. Yeah, I'll check it out, and I really dug this man. I I was I was very impressed with where. Where the movie went, what the, I mean, the, the acting is really pretty good. This, it's, I don't know, this could be one of those movies that in, in five years you say, wow, that actually was a big deal because it led to, it led to a kind of a launching point for, for Dylan O'Brien. It led to maybe a launching point for the director, Michael Matthews, and the, the screenplay writers as well. And so, yeah, it's, it's good. I was very surprised by, by the quality of, of this thing.
0: Where do you stand? overall on movies of this genre because I don't know about you, but I remember about a decade ago when Zombieland came out, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I kind of thought to myself, gosh, this is great, but we're going to see like 50 movies ripping this off <laughs> over sure. the next 10 years, you know? Sure. Mm-hmm. And not that that's happened, but, uh, I feel like movies like this is it, you, you kind of know what to expect and, Not to say this is Zombieland or is trying to be that, but Mm -hmm. I I, I just have a preconceived notion to not be attracted to these. Where do you fall on movies like this, like these post-apocalyptic comedies? Mm -hmm. I think
1: I'm only in on the really... Good ones, like the the ones that have
0: a a, some kind of interesting concept or director behind them, or yeah, go about it in a different way. Yeah,
1: or or because okay, so one of the things is the thing that Zombie Land gets right. This is not a unique thought. I'm sure that I have said this on this podcast probably too many times, but but the. The thing that works with zombieland is not the horror and it's not the comedy. it's the blend of those two things and that's what so many movies that try to blend genre get whether it's horror and something else or just drama comedy you know whatever that's where usually the it loses me at least and and it usually loses some steam and some quality is the blend between those two things and I keep harping on I know I have referenced this movie many more times than it really deserves because it just was kind of a throwaway. But that, that, uh, that Blake lively movie, uh, uh, oh, shoot the, the Paul Feig movie. What was it called? The simple, simple, simple favor, not simple, simple favor. Thank you. Not a simple plan. That was a Billy Bob Thornton movie. Uh, simple favor to me. The, uh, the problem with it was the blend. It, it was, it was pretty good as a drama and kind of a thriller in some parts. And, and it had some decent comedy that was pretty solid, but doing those two things together just didn't, it didn't come together there. And so, you know, me, I'm not a big, I don't like the horror stuff. So the horror aspect is never going to really be the selling point for me on a movie like this or like zombie land or, or whatever else. And if the comedy is not done really well, then I'm just going to kind of think to myself, well, I mean, it's it may, there's some laughs in here, but I can see much better comedies that aren't trying to also blend into a horror or a post apocalyptic type thing or or whatever else. And so I like Zombieland a lot. I like Zombieland too. There's a couple of other movies that kind of fall into this genre that I dig. Um, but I also am not, it's not like sci-fi to me where it's like, even if the sci-fi is not good, I'm going to, I'm probably going to watch it and enjoy, I'm enjoy it to an extent, right? As long as it's not just terrible, it's the, the b and and c plus sci fi movies that show for me that show like i I dig this genre more than the the b or c plus movies like in this genre because this is just not my my favorite I'm with you it's not my favorite kind of uh kind of film, but man, when it's done right, I think it works really well and it can be very fun and I think this is an example of one that's that's done quite well you know what this reminded me of. Um, even more than I got, Zombieland vibes in the first few minutes, but even more than Zombieland uh, was Warm Bodies. That's what and I was gonna good. say.
0: That's that's like the only movie that was post Zombieland that I felt like mm-hmm. captured that sure. that energy in a in an efficient mm-hmm. way. It was memorable. Yeah, and I love Not the only one. Uh,
1: Jonathan Levine is one of my favorite um, sort of. Uh, B list directors or what? I don't want to be insulting to, to him or, or whatever, but you know, not a huge name director, but somebody that I really dig when he, when he does a movie, I, I kind of get excited about what that, the prospects of that movie could be. Warm bodies was a great example. It was like, that sounds terrible. And then you're like, well, it's Jonathan Levine. I'm like, well, okay, I, I'm, you know, that could be cool. And that turned out actually to be a pretty, a pretty solid movie. But yeah, this, this one had a lot of uh Jonathan Levine vibes to me, which I dig. I, th- I think that's a, I think that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, another movie uh, in the same vein came out last year that I was pleasantly surprised by. Not a lot of people saw it. It was called uh, Little Monsters. Did you see this one with Lupita Nyong'o? I and never Yondo? got to that one. Yeah. Dude, you need to see that one. That one's really, really fun. It's an Australian <laughs> movie, I think. Zombie Apocalypse, kind of same deal, but it's really funny. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of about a band in a weird way, or like a hmm. she's a music teacher, I think, or something like that. Um it's got a lot of fun things about it and and that's another one that's kind of understated like Love and Monsters was that uh, mm. that you need to check out. So aside from Love and Monsters um coming out randomly, this is a big budget movie. And you know, you look into this and you look yeah. at it. I mean, it's an extremely impressive movie. And then I think that's what stuck mm-hmm. out to me on this first rewatch. On this first watch, I mean, the most was, this is not a B movie. Let's just spend 20 million dollars and see what we can do. Like this is very well done. The CG in this movie is extremely good. The production design is fantastic. The casting is all is all really good. but um you know, it really impressed me. It's like there's a robot mm-hmm. that shows up in the movie that's that's great that is looks to be a combination of of practical and and CG. That really makes a difference, but I was just impressed at the scale and just the execution of this world that they built
1: yeah no I understand with you I think that is a part of why uh i a little bit at least of why I dig this so much is because it does feel like a it feels like a movie we'd see in theaters in a normal year um and there have been so many movies that we have discussed over the last few months as we you know, just try to navigate through this that don't they don't really feel like theater movies. And that's totally fine. And, that you know, this whole thing may may completely read or fully finish the redefinition of what is a theater movie and what what is not. But I miss the theater, and I, you know, Richard is the one who would gladly only go to the theater for like Fast and Furious movies, and that's it. Um, every year, I miss the theater. I really miss going and watching a movie. And one of the things that I don't necessarily get from Trial of the Chicago Seven or uh, Borat or what I can't even remember what we did that week, or like Palm Springs, you know, things like that. That I movies that I really dig, they don't necessarily feel theatrical. And this kind of did. It had a mm-hmm. low budget blockbuster feel to it. Not I you mean know, it's it's not it's not like we're we're watching an Avengers movie or something like that. But it was a it feels like a kind of blockbuster-y movie. And it actually feels like a a blockbuster in fall movie. So the the mm-hmm. timing on the release was perfect because it's not quite as high energy and and you know high octane as as you might expect when you're going to see a blockbuster in july but it certainly fits october you know for for that kind of theater experience so i i i think that for me at least that that heightens it a little bit because that that is something that i'm missing right now is seeing that kind of movie and and this uh this sort of tapped into that a little bit and, and kind of give you, give you a little bit of, of that feel again. And I've missed it. I miss that kind of movie right now.
0: Yeah, for sure. On that note, had this come out in a theater, I don't think this would have made any money despite how good yeah, it is. I, uh-huh. I I yeah. think this would have been a huge flop financially. So, I mean, maybe they knew that. Um, maybe they, that's why they put it out already, but even in a good year where this was out in theaters, Mm-hmm. I just don't think this has the audience that would make this some surprise hit no. as good as it is. Like I said, I would recommend this all day, but uh-huh. I just don't know if the masses mm-hmm. would, would see it like that.
1: So I'm reading the big picture right now. I yeah. know Richard's read that. Have you yeah, read, I read that? it? I can't yeah. Remember. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's fascinating and disheartening all at the same time. And, and, um, and it's a really good read. I, I, I'm the third one now. So we, we all highly recommend this book. It's, it's, very interesting. If you're at all interested in the movie industry, it's kind of. A, I think it's probably a must read because um, there's just mm. there's a lot, uh, a lot
0: about uh, just how studios think and their bottom uh-huh. line yep. is yep. is really a big deal. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. and then this is a great example, Kent, because it's you're totally right. Like it looks good. You can tell that this movie costs twenty eight or thirty million dollars to make, not five or ten, mm-hmm. because it it does have a good production quality to it and you're totally right this movie would make assuming that you you're you do a good job on your release window and you you put it up against something that isn't going to like just completely blow everything away i think this movie would make maybe 8 million dollars opening weekend um and that's you'd probably feel pretty good about that because then you're like, okay, at $8 million, if we, if it can get like a three – if it has good word of mouth and it gets a three- or four-week run and we get anything overseas, then we're going to end up kind of you know, breaking even on this. And that's your whole goal for anything that gets budgeted, anything that's not going to win Oscars, anything that gets budgeted between – honestly, anything that gets budgeted less than $100 million, you're just kind of hoping that it breaks even because – with some exceptions obviously because this is the the industry that we that we now exist in because marvel and disney and all this sort of stuff have sort of broken every <laughs> everything else that we do but this is exactly the type of movie that uh that amy pascal would greenlight in the like post heyday of sony when mm-hmm. it's tr- when they when they were trying to figure out how to navigate the new world. And it wasn't quite the same as it had been previously, but they hadn't completely come around on franchise films and things like that. This is exactly the kind of movie that would get greenlit. And then they'd be like, crap, this didn't, (laughs) it didn't make enough money for, to, to support what, you know, what we put into it and whatnot.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And silver lining to this whole situation is that we, we do get to see it and get to see it at home. And, and you touched on it earlier, we get to absorb it a little bit deeper than maybe we would have seeing it at a theater. I watched this multiple times already, uh, just in preparation for this podcast. And I, I feel like it's going to be one of the most rewatchable movies of the year for me, at least, um, in terms of, you know, background, random action scenes, some fun comedy, good, good narration, which I feel like is a cliche, big time to Mm -hmm. just like have a movie with a, with a young white male protagonist in a post-apocalyptic narrating his way through this crazy world, adding some levity to the situation that that's all good and fine. And that's not what makes this movie work. I feel like it's really clever writing. Uh, but what I, what I wanted to ask you was where do you fall on, on Dylan O'Brien? Because I'm not familiar with him very much. I, I, didn't see any of the Maze Runner movies. We never did episodes on those, so I never <laughs> never really dove into those at all. But gosh, pleasantly surprised by this guy. So much charisma, so much potential. He reminds me of a crossbreed of Tom Holland and Chris Pine.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. Um I I said in our Discord this kind of rephrased is that the right? Re, re, I don't know. Reshape, put him in a new light. I guess is what I'm trying to say in a terrible way uh, for me. Because like, I I watched those Maze Runner movies and they're fine. I think Richard and I actually did a Maze Runner episode on the third one because we had a guest for some reason and mm-hmm. and Richard thought that the, yeah yeah because <laughs> Richard thought that they were that the Maze Runner movies and books are the same as the Divergent movies and books. So he was like researching <laughs> divergent and it was like, well, that's not part that's of not this yeah. thing. But, but yeah, like I thought he was fine in those and, but that we would never see him again. Like is what happens with so many of the, uh, the YA teen movie actors and stuff. You just, you know, they're, they're in a, they're in a, a popular or semi-popular film series. And then you just kind of never see him again. Or you only see him in like bad movies and bad roles. I I saw him in that. You remember American Assassin with? Uh, oh yeah, Michael Keaton and and Taylor Kitsch. He was that, that was a TV show. No, it was a movie. But it just it, it kind of came and went. I know I don't think we did an episode on it or anything. Um, that was probably four years ago something mm. something in that range. And he was really miscast in that. It was it was too grown up for him I think at the time, and it just didn't it didn't really work. And I watched that and thought, oof, I think that's it, man. This just isn't gonna. It's not going to happen for him. I thought he was kind of great in this. I thought he did a a really fantastic job um, of doing all, like I said, the blend, the comedy, and the the seriousness. He did that really well. But he also had, there's a bunch of moments that this movie really genuinely relies on his ability to pull off um, emotional moments. And I... Before this movie, if you would have asked me, I would have said there's absolutely no chance he can do that. He's not. He's just not that good of an actor. He can't pull that off. Completely wrong. He was. I was really impressed with with what what he what he did with this, and it, it made me think, wow, maybe this guy is like a legit, uh, you know, sub movie star. You know, and movie yeah. stars only. There's only like five of them in the world, but maybe this guy is like somebody who really can carry movies and has a much more diverse skill set than I was giving him credit for previously.
0: Yeah, I mean, he seems like he would fit perfectly in a a Marvel cinematic universe, you know? Uh if I was them, I would be or Star Wars or something. If I was them, I'd be beating down this guy's, guy's door to to be involved somehow in some kind of big franchise going forward mm-hmm. and maybe that's the goal with Love and Monsters, the Love and Monsters cinematic universe and that's what he's known for. And this thing blows up and that's great. But yeah, I know I agree with you. I pleasantly surprised by his performance. Same with, with Jessica Henwick, his love interest in the movie, Amy. Sure. She, mm-hmm. speaking of star Wars is uh briefly in the force awakens as a, as an X-wing pilot. But I think she's somebody too, that we need to keep an eye on to do great things here in the next couple, a uh, couple of years. Yeah, d- definitely. She great chemistry between too. the two.
1: hmm. Yeah. Yeah, really. I mean, she was very good. I didn't think. I mean, Dylan O'Brien really jumped off of the screen, but but great job casting all around. Um, to get to get to get Jessica Henwick, she did really well. To have uh, Michael Rooker pop up. With, this is uh, the
0: like going going into this. If you had told me, all right, one uh, random person shows up in this movie, I'd be like, it's Michael Rooker, right? <laughs> like to me, this is the most Michael Rooker movie sure. of all time. Uh huh. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> he's he's really done a great job i love
0: him but like it's it's the most obvious role for him ever
1: for sure for sure he he's a fascinating dude to be able to navigate the um the the he i mean that dude's been around forever he's been in movies since the 80s and Mm -hmm. and he just always is like kind of the the you know the third henchman type and then Maybe he po- he pops up a little higher on the, the the pecking order here and there, but just really kind of hung around. And then Walking Dead propels him to a new level, and then he's Guardians of the Galaxy and all this. For so- I mean he's he's had a really fascinating ride. It, it's pretty rare to see somebody um, start as a character actor, stay as a character actor, have a break later in in their careers, and then ride it out in a successful way without yeah. like just. Totally selling into, which I'm fine with selling out because get your money, but like totally selling out for just like any role that puts him in the lead or I think even Cranston is, is guilty of, and I love Cranston, American treasure, Brian Cranston, but Brian Cranston will take your money if you're, if you're (laughs) going to offer him a a James Franco movie or whatever. He's like, yeah, because I didn't get my break until I was in my fifties. Yep. So he's basically every so. job he gets. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Get, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll take that money. Uh, Rooker's done a great job of, of kind of picking his spots. And I'm sure he's been in 12 terrible red box movies that I don't even know about, but that's fine. Cause it doesn't really resonate. <laughs> uh, but he's really good in this. He's fun. And, and, um, And, uh, I've never seen Ariana Greenblatt in anything previously. I don't, I don't think, but she was really good too. That's a really fun pairing, the two of them and having them just kind of drop into the world with, with Dylan O'Brien and then drop back out 20 minutes later, um, was, was an interesting and and cool choice and, and left me, um, they didn't outwear their welcome left me wanting more, you know, that's a really, it was a fun way to do that.
0: Yeah, speaking of this world, the logic of this makes no sense at all, but I don't care. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's one of those, like, there's a little prologue at the beginning with some some animation. It's like, hey, here's what happened. Uh, An asteroid was coming to Earth. We blew it up with a nuke, like Armageddon, the movie. And all the radiation flew back to Earth and made all the uh, animals into mutants, (laughs) essentially. What's funny is it only affected, like, certain animals, (laughs) And what's funny about this even further is like all the animals are like harmless normally, but this radiation has made them into giant monsters. So it's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, now we're fighting a giant snail. Okay, great. You know? Um, Mm -hmm. so that, that cracked me up Like It wasn't cliche monsters at all. Like there was some creativity in terms of like, okay, if we're going to make a giant monster, it's not going to be a big ape or a lizard or whatever it is. Like there was, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that was cool to see like some different, mutant type creatures you know in this movie
1: yeah and it lets you show off some some creature feature you know and yes. and creature design and stuff do some different things that giant bull instead of, yep yeah exactly yeah Insta- instead of just having them all be i mean star wars i don't want to keep i got star wars on the brain because of the mandalorian but like one of the fun things about the star wars universe is and you you drop in the Isley cantina and there's 40 different species in there, you know, it it just makes for a cool, uh, background and whatnot. And so this is kind of the same thing. It's like to be able to have a snail in one scene and an ant kind of thing in another and a crab
0: and giant crab. Yeah. yeah. What other movie has a climax (laughs) that, uh, um, features a giant crab, (laughs) not enough fight. I mean, mean, that's what I've been saying for a while. And finally, (laughs) They listen to us. We've been saying giant crabs need to be more That's right. That's in every right. movie. And it was if weird when we, yeah. we were talking about the post and Richard uh-huh. was like adamant that a giant crab should have been there. But <laughs>
1: right. I, I see his point now. It's, like, it's not historically accurate, but I, yeah. you know, I get it. I, I would have been with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we're on record if memory serves. Uh, when we talked about King Arthur several years ago, that. I think we all said, um, screw this giant snake. We're only here for giant crabs and, we're right. there and we're, yes. more giant crabs. In the that in was the direct film. quote. I think. Yep. <laughs> yeah. We, we put that on our own poster. <laughs> I don't know if the, the listeners know that, but for, for every movie we review, um, we create our own, our own poster with our hmm. quotes on it. And it just lines the wall inside the VIP lounge. So yeah, somebody will have to go find the King Arthur one and find a
0: crab <laughs> quote. some, um, Something I also liked about this, that it, it kind of took a note from a movie in a similar vein as this, is the fact that Dylan O'Brien's character Joel has the dog uh, sidekick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously, I Am Legend is very well known for that and the whole man's best friend in the post apocalyptic scenario kind of thing. But mm-hmm. this does it really well, too. And, you know, it takes on a whole different. Call of the Wild type context with this. And um mm-hmm. that was like you know, this movie would have been fun probably without the dog, but I think the dog made made for some really good moments.
1: hmm Smart too to realize the the castaway effect, you know. The mm-hmm. like it's more interesting to see this person uh with you know, in being, being able to act off of something yeah, or, or yeah. interact with something mm-hmm. rather than just the settings and the environment. And so to have the dog and the Mavis robot and then mm-hmm. Michael Rooker and, and company just kind of popping. in You're, This is a really weird comparison, but it reminded me a little bit of Into the Wild with uh, the uh, Emile Hirsch, mm-hmm. Sean Penn one. The John Krakauer book that that was, uh, was a movie, but like. That movie, it's like I watched that fairly recently, so maybe that's part of it. It's on the brain, but like, you know, this this kid out on his his uh, grand adventure in life, and it's like for a while, you know, here's Vince Vaughn, and here's Kristen Stewart, and here's um, uh, Hallbrook, and and whatnot, and and they're you know interacting in his life for 15 minutes on screen, and then you know we're moving on to something else. It was kind of like that, but but with <laughs> but with snail monsters. I'm certain I've made some very generic uh, comparisons lately. I am certain that nobody has compared Love and Monsters to End of the Wild. So <laughs> put that out there.
0: A couple of negatives about the movie before we hit grades mm-hmm. here um, that I didn't want to touch. I did find it a bit predictable. Um, sure. For sure. You know, no it's exactly what you would think it would be. You know, a guy looking for his love interest who is in a different place and going to find her and that that kind of stuff the personal growth aspect of it, the mm-hmm. companionship aspect of it, and even some of the action scenes, like the one with the giant millipede sticks out as, mm-hmm. you know exactly what's going to happen. Like he pulls out his crossbow and you know he's going to shoot that thing once mm-hmm. and it's going to go down at some point in that scene. Like there's n- and it's exactly what happens. And that's fine. But yeah, there's there's nothing that took me by surprise in terms of how things play out in the movie. But mm-hmm. that's not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes it's good to just be able to Predictably, go through something that's enjoyable, and and this certainly had an originality to it that I didn't expect, and that kept me going. Another negative, huge, big offender in the overshirt department, I mean, <laughs> and that's another cliche of post-apocalyptic movies. Everyone's mm-hmm. in an overshirt. No one is ditching their <laughs> vest, jacket, anything. Uh-huh. You know, I don't know if it's you like th- this is all it- I have, and I have yeah, to wear yeah, it yeah. all the that's time, but like. Yeah. Yeah, this is every character, Dylan O'Brien especially, there's like six different overshirts that he's, mm-hmm. and, and the dog himself is like carrying around a red overshirt the entire <laughs> yeah. time. Uh-huh. It's like, yeah. it's, yeah, and that's one of those things that I fully understand, like costume designers are like, all right, here he is, and you add an overshirt, and it like adds another <laughs> pop, like it makes it the character pop, like in terms uh-huh. of their right. look, right. and that's fine, right. but like, it's the most unrealistic scenario ever that these people will be running around and you'd be being chased by a giant crab and you've got this flannel unbuttoned uh-huh. flannel that you're running around. And there's no, you would have ditched that after four and a half seconds in this world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is funny. And that's a it's, small complaint, but that I mm-hmm. always, was something I noticed years ago in movies and it pops yeah. up all the time now, man, all the time. And nobody else but me like complains about that, but like, it's such an eye roll. when I see that in one of these movies or maybe it goes back to, like, Jurassic Park or something back then, and, like, (laughs) that look is just iconic for these types of movies, but I don't know, man. This one is is as bad as they come.
1: (laughs) Well, now we've been preconditioned, and so whenever (laughs) – Whenever the the apocalyptic event happens, which is probably any day now, let's be real. The way the way everything mm. is going, I'm I'm immediately going to put on twelve shirts,
0: just 12 over shirts. Yeah. That's the, the only spares. way to do it. Yeah. I don't know. Chicken I mean, you know
1: what what else am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to follow the rules of movies. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna load up on strap <laughs> on I'm a crossbow and put p- on an overshirt. Right? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Well, like I said, there's a lot to like about this movie. I don't want to get too spoilery. I kind of already did spoil some things, but yeah. this one's this one's fun. I'd be willing to see multiple ones of these. We're joking in the Discord about mm-hmm. I want to see twenty-five of these. I want to see the eighth version have just attack of the giant gerbils. I don't care. Like there's this mm-hmm. is a fun world to be in, and if they can continue this, I don't know what the director's doing, but if the plan is like let's make three of these, go yeah. let's go for it. I'm in
1: for sure. Great soundtrack too. Oh, little Leon song. Bridges, little Leon, the little Arcade Fire. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, I liked Dug it. That I liked a lot. It. Yeah, and there was a really cool moment. Uh, what was it? Um, in the still of the night, or something like that, I was mm-hmm. playing with some yeah. like some like jellyfish in the sky. Like it was really
1: really, really well, well done. Emotional man. scene. Yeah. yeah, for real. For real.
0: Yeah, I dug this a
1: lot, dude. I'm I'm very and I'm I'm totally with you. If they want to do a series of the these, I'm I'm all in. That would be that would be really I don't know really what you do necessarily, but I don't know. It was it's a cool it was a really cool concept and a and a a um taking a thing that like we kind of mentioned, this is a, this is a this is a genre on an in and to itself at this point, but like doing some some kind of interesting things with with it. Despite the fact that the story itself, you're you're a hundred percent right, is is very predictable you could pretty much say from start to finish here's you know here's here's a and Z now maybe it's some of the some of the uh, letters in between I'm not really sure on but I know where this is headed and, and a lot of the the milestones along the way but they did some interesting things with it within that that framework that I, I think uh, I'd like I'd be happy to, to spend some more time in this world for sure
0: all right well I think it's about time for grades here Brian what do you want to grade Loan monsters at
1: I'm going to go with I'm, I'm stuck between two grades. My I want to go I want to go a but I think part of that is just due to the lack of uh, the lack of movies over the last few weeks and months and and the especially this kind of movie that I really do. I'll, I'll just settle in on a nice a minus but like mm-hmm. a minus. I mean it, I could see myself bumping that up a little bit as the as the remaining couple of months go. This could this has some chances, like an outlier on my top ten list. I think at the end yeah. of the year, it's it's pretty it's pretty close. I assume there are going to be some things that that come out over you know what would typically be awards season or or the the lead up to awards season over the next couple months that are going to bump some of these movies down. But um, but this has a this has some an outside shot at that that top ten spot for me.
0: What about you? Yeah, I'll give it an A. Um... After the second rewatch, I liked it even more. And it's one I, I think I'll revisit multiple times. It's nice. a lot of fun. Give it a solid A. A few complaints, but sure. I don't think anything worthy of, of um, turning anyone off to this movie. And, and I definitely recommend it for the man fam out there.
1: Awesome.
0: Go seek it out. Go find it. I'm sure it'll hit all the streaming services here in the, uh, fairly soon. But I think it's worth five bucks on a Friday night, Saturday night, yeah. if, if you sit down with the family. It's a good family-friendly movie, too. Side note, um, really good, really fun, really enjoyable. And one of the more fun movies of the year, I know we talked about a lot of movies, but there haven't Mm -hmm. been any that just like, were enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Like they kind of have made you smile, (laughs) you know, and this one, did.
1: yeah, no, that kind of gets it. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's my thing. That's what I think of when I think of blockbusters now, I don't, I don't want a blockbuster that's when I, when I'm talking about blockbusters, I do not mean uh, a Michael Bay blockbuster. I just, I think now. I feel like more and more of the big, big budget blockbuster summer movies we, t- we tend to see have a sense of humor to them and they're fun. And that that is exactly it. It's This was a very fun movie and there just really haven't been a lot of those. Now, again, there haven't been a lot of movies, so it's not really fair to, to blame the movie year for that. But it hasn't been... Um, These are these, yeah. These are kind of few and far between. A a movie that I actually have fun watching this year, and this definitely was one of them.
0: If you at home want to keep up with Brian and I's movie watching throughout the year, we keep lists on our Letterboxed accounts. He's at Brian Gill, I'm at Kent Garrison on Letterboxed. You can follow us there, and we try to keep a ranking as the year goes on 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 movies. And who knows where that'll end up at the end of the year? But yeah, like I said, this is one of the funner movies. That I've seen and, and certainly has a chance in the top 10 uh, as of right now. Sure. Well, this has been a fun conversation. We had a, l- a few weekly recommends there at the top for you. So maybe we'll come back when Richard is back in town and uh, his probation ends and we'll get some more <laughs> more perspectives, more recommends, more things to watch. But like I said, if you want more from us, head on over to that VIP. We're talking best in show this week. Speaking of Schitt's mm-hmm. Creek and... Uh, Eugene Levy, and and uh, American Treasurer Catherine O'Hara will be talking a little bit about Best in Show in honor of its 20th anniversary. So look forward to that and join us over there if you if you enjoy that movie. But exciting times, as always. Thank you so much for listening. And hopefully, we'll see you soon at the cinema. Goodbye. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling toss salads and scrambled eggs and maybe I seem a bit confused, yeah maybe, but i got you pegs, ha 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 ha, but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again, scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya ya, salads and scrambled